welcome to the first ever RaceRex podcast. This is uh, something new that we're trying. We had a little intro show last week just so we actually knew what the heck we were doing. But the whole idea of this show is to go a little bit further than the average interview and post-race race recap that a lot of the uh, podcasts and audio shows you're able to listen to in the sport have. We're going to try to get a little bit educational, maybe do some bench racing, of course. But hopefully you'll find out by the end of each show some things you didn't know when the show began. Jason Wygan here, your host for our first RacerX podcast. Our topic for this one, we decided to make it easy on ourselves because that's the way we are. This is a show about first-time victories. Now, it's actually been in the news quite a bit in the sport lately because we've had two first-time winners in the last two weeks in Monster Energy Supercross with Justin Barsha and Blake Baggett, those two hoping that it's the first of many. So we're going to talk to those guys about what their experience was like winning that first of hopefully many. And then we're actually going to talk to two veteran riders who had first victories that were indeed the first of a long and successful career. That's Jeff Emig and Grant Langston. So we're going to talk to all four of those guys on this show. And uh, as far as Baggin and Barsha, I'm sure the memories of their first race are fresh in your minds because it just happened within the last 14 days. As for Grant Langston winning a GP in Germany in 1999, you probably don't know many of those details. And Jeff Emig winning the Houston Supercross in 1990, you probably don't remember most of those details either. So that's why we're doing this show. Hopefully you'll learn something, and coming episodes will get a little bit more in-depth. Of course, if you have a burning topic that you want to know more about in the sport, how is gear made, how are factory contracts signed, how do they actually test race bikes and then make the bike they test in California during the week the same bike that they race on Saturday night, if you've got a burning question like that, shoot me an email, and I will consider hosting that on this show. It's jasonw at racerxonline.com. That's my personal email. Ladies, I will give you my phone number if you email with the proper photos. Don't worry, my wife doesn't check my email account. So send us your ideas, your photos, whatever you want feedback as far as this show goes. We think it's going to be something groundbreaking, but we can only do that if we break the ground that you folks want us to break. So let us know what you want in future episodes, and we'll do our best to track down some racer experts, as one of our readers called them, to get you that information. On to our first show, First Time Victories. Now, there's an old saying in racing that once you get the first win, the rest come easy. Unfortunately, though, if you look through the history of motocross and supercross, it only works out about half the time. A lot of first-time wins are significant because they actually ended up being the only win for racers, and a lot of first-time wins were indeed the key to winning a whole lot more. You can go back to Ricky Carmichael winning the Gainesville National in 1997. That was his first professional motocross win. And by the time his career was over, he had won more professional motocross races than anyone ever. Or you could talk about Jeff Emig and Grant Langston, who we will on this show. They've obviously gone on to have very successful careers. But for others, first-time wins stick out because there never was a second-time win. We were bench racing about that in the uh, office here, and we thought back to Southwick way back in 2002. This one you might not even remember. It was Danny Smith was a factory Suzuki rider. I think they were supposed to have support from Blimpy Subs that year, and the money never came. So the team was struggling just a little bit. Uh, Danny was always a strong rider. I don't think he was a championship favorite coming into that season. Solid top fives in the first couple of rounds. And then a horrible tragedy on his family leading up to the Southwick Nationals. Brother Kip tragically died in a construction accident just a few days before that race. So most people didn't even expect Danny to show up and race that weekend at Southwick. But he's a racer, and that's probably, well, maybe the best way for him to cope, to go back to work. So that's what he did. He showed up at Southwick in 2002. There was a lot of hype about Chad Reed and James Stewart, but of course, who else, battling for the win that day in the 125 class. And there was actually a backstory there because <clears throat> just a year earlier, the 125 National Class hosted this epic race between Grant Langston and Travis Pastrana at Southwick, where both the top American and the top rider coming over from the GPs said the sand race would be their race. So everyone was anticipating this battle between Reed and Stewart. It didn't materialize. Stewart blew up his engine in the first moto of the day, so he was out as far as the overall is concerned. And Chad Reed popped his shoulder out of the socket, and he was in the back. That opened the door for Danny Smith to win in dramatic fashion. His family was there. Tears were shed. That was his first ever AMA Pro National win, and it would actually end up being his last AMA Pro National win. So first wins are kind of funny. Sometimes they're the first of many. Sometimes they're not. As for someone like Grant Langston, well, we already know how his career went. He's won a lot of races and a lot of championships. Grant Langston won his first professional race in 1999, and we'll turn it over to Grant now to explain how that day came forward. I remember quite well. It was 1999, 
and it was, uh, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but I almost want to say it was the penultimate round of the GPs, and I had had a podium by going 6-3 in Slovenia a few weeks prior to the to the race that I won, which was in, and don't quote me on the spelling, but it's it's called Henschen, and it's in East Germany, right near the Polish border. And, uh, you know, I don't know if all the tracks in the area are like that, but um, it was kind of sandy. Uh -huh. and um, But the kind of sandy that I like, um, you know, I don't really enjoy the really gnarly deep sand, even though I do pretty good at it. I like the kind of Millville-type tracks or, you know, maybe a little sandier than that. Um, I don't know. It just seems to suit my style. And we got to Henschen, Germany, and I thought, man, this track's going to, developed to my liking you know it's going to roughen up and everything so you know back then they used to have practice and qualifying on saturday well i qualified fastest by almost a full second and um i said to my dad i don't know i have this weird feeling i feel really good about this weekend i feel confident and he even said man you know you got a distant lucky third a couple weeks back like it's a big difference to do one lap time at that speed, but he goes, you got guys like Yodi and Federici and James Dobb, and, you know, the list went on and on, but, you know, they were some of the, the faster guys. He's like, you know, you got to go, because back then the GPs were 40 minutes plus two laps. So, I mean, some of our motors were coming up on almost 50 minutes, depending when you cross the line. Jeez. Um, yeah, they were gnarly. And um, my dad's like, you know, it's one thing to, to throw down one lap time. And he even said, you got fast bike it works good in the sand but the ktm back then i really feel was the dominant bike and especially in the sand i think the, the pds actually worked better in the sand than a conventional linkage system uh -huh. and our bikes were incredibly fast so <clears throat> it was 1999 when uh, when champ ktm was the sort of the official factory team and my teammate was uh a guy by the name of jamie scavenoff he was a young Belgian rider, kind of like one wave length before Ramon, you know, should have been like the next Belgian world champion, you know, with teammates with Everts and, and then back in the day. And I don't think he ever really lived up to his name. And when he was at ATM, it was a second chance. But uh, ironically, I don't know exactly where he qualified, but I, I almost want to say he was second fastest because I remember thinking like, man, it was just, ATMs at the top of the sheets. I think yeah. he was in the other qualifying group, but right. ended up second behind me. So Sunday rolled around, and you know I walked the track after qualifying, just kind of sat on the bales. And I remember my dad kind of being not negative, but just saying like, "Hey, you know," because I, I said, "Hey, Dad, I think I've got this. I think I can win." And I think he wanted to kind of more set me up in the sense saying like, "Hey." It's expected for you not to win, so it's more of a shock if you do win. So uh -huh. don't, you know, don't go in too confident, and just remember that Coyote is, at that point, was about one, you know two motos away from being a three-time world champion. Um, you know, and he's like, you know, these guys, you know, you you've had one third overall place and a couple of top tens. He said, you know, it's a big difference and going out and just straight up beating those guys, both motos, on a rough, gnarly track where, you know, they, they're smart and they learn to change your lines and avoid the rough stuff and do whatever. But Sunday rolled around. I mean, I, it was weird. On Saturday, from lap one, I was pretty much at the top of the time sh shot. And if anyone bumped me, I went straight back to the top. It was just seemed like it was just effortless going that speed for me. Like, it was like, you just kind of had that feeling like this could be the day. And then... You know, so practice, I was fastest. Qualifying, I was fastest. Sunday morning, warm-up, I was fastest. You know, went to the line with the first gate pick. And I think that was the first time I kind of had this feeling inside, like, I can beat everyone on the start line. And I really felt that. Like, I legitimately felt like, you know, often you might have, you know, a fairly good race or a good qualifying, and you go, hey, I think I can win. Or, I, like, if I get a good start, I can beat these guys. Like, I wasn't even really, I didn't even feel like that. I almost felt like, if I don't go down in the first turn, then I'm pretty sure I can win this race. You know, that was the only if. And, you know, first moto, I, I know I had a good start. I'm not sure if, I don't think I ever quite had the whole shot, but I think I was in the top five around the first turn. 
And um, I think I had to pass a couple of guys, um, including my teammate, James Gavinold, and I think James Dobb was another guy, and, you know, a couple of other top guys. Um, but that was all happened real quick, like on the first lap almost. And I think I crossed the finish line at lap one, second behind my teammate, second or third, and kind of just picked off one guy at a time and started to check out. And Gavinold, who had never had a podium in his life, uh-huh. was kind of making life difficult because he was probably 20 seconds ahead of third place, but he was only like, you know, some point a little over five seconds behind me. So it wasn't like I could back it down because he was pushing me for the win. I'm like, geez, the guy's been not that impressive all year, and all of a sudden the sun, moon, and stars are aligned, and he doesn't want me to win my first race. Right. So he pushed me to the end. You know, I ended up winning by a fair margin. You know, this thing was closer to 10 seconds, but, you know, if it wasn't for him, it seemed like it would have been an easy victory. But I guess him pushing me the whole way probably made it more rewarding because it was like, man, I, you know, that wasn't easy, but I won it, you know. And I was so stoked to have won my first moto, but I knew winning a moto is just, you know, it's kind of like just being a flash in the pan. You know, you just want to, you definitely want to have your name written down at least as a overall winner. Mm-hmm. So I really was really adamant to do whatever it took to get the overall. I didn't care if it meant, you know, fourth place finish for the overall. You know, I just wanted to win that GP. Yeah. And um, second moto, I got the whole shot, and I'm like, perfect. And on about halfway around the first lap, I came into a rut, and my front wheel slid up over the top of the rut, and I tucked the front end and went down. We all know on the first lap that the worst thing you can do is fall by yourself while leading. Fortunately, right. I haven't done it very often, but <laughs> that was one of the few times. Um, you know, fortunately, I probably already had a second or two lead. I jumped up so quick. I think I was already on the bike before anyone had passed me. You know, fortunately, with those 125 two-strokes, you just pull in the clutch. Usually, your second kick is fired up. And I think I got going right when the you know, only about a half a dozen guys had gotten by me, you know, I was still in the top 10 for sure. I think I was somewhere between, you know, 6th and ninth, if I remember correctly. But the bad news was all the guys in front of me were all the big hitters. It was like Coyote, Federici, um, Dobb, um, trying to think who else was. Where was your teammate? Was he in there? I don't think so, because I almost remember he totally just blew second moto and never ended up on the podium oh, for the okay. overall. Yep. Um, so I don't know what happened to him. You know, he, he, he was definitely a bit of a head case. He could ride when he wanted to, but it was few and far between. And, you know, we've all seen people like that throughout our careers. And, you know, eventually people's patience wear out. And they just go, you know what, <laughs> we're done trying. We can't be behind a guy for a whole year to have one good moto or one good race. But um, I, I'm pretty sure he somehow blew it second moto. He either crashed in the start or crashed by himself. He did something, but he pretty much blew it all by himself. And, uh, you know, the front few guys were already starting to spread out a little bit. It was weird. It was like every lap for the next, you know, six, seven laps on that long track, i just pick one guy and then the next guy and the next guy and I remember being like third or fourth, and I think it was like the three guys in front of me, I think, were like Federici, Coyote, and Mike Brown, and I just passed James Dobb. And wow. I think you know, the next lap I got by Brown, and, um, you know, I knew, hey, I still got to get through because I think I think Coyote still could have won the overall if I got third because I think he could have gone 3-1 and I would have gone 1-3. So I knew, like, hey, there's plenty of time. You got the speed, you got, and I knew I had the stamina because I, I felt like I trained my ass off that whole year, mm-hmm. you know, um, almost at times too much, I think. But I knew I was in physical condition. I knew that that kind of track suited my style. And, you know, it was almost like as I started catching those guys, my, I just picked up the pace. And by about halfway through the moto, I was out in front and just pulling away, like, you know, at a pretty significant rate and I'm going how the heck do I feel like I bust my ass all year long and can never hang with these guys for a lap yeah now today it's it's reverse it's like they must be going where the heck did this guy find this speed from and um 
I just remember kind of riding off into the distance, and uh, it almost seems surreal at times because, it, you know, you expected it to be a dogfight, everything you had, slamming some dude on the last lap to try and win your first GP, and here we are where it's like couldn't have gone any smoother. You know, the little tip-over just made it more exciting, you know? Mm-hmm. It gave me more credit because I had to come from closer to 10 to win it than, you know, oh, well, he just got the whole shot and checked out. So... I remember crossing the finish line and seeing the team and the and the, my, my dad and my uncle who was my mechanic at the time and you know some friends and just you know just familiar faces and everyone was just jumping up and down and they even had a bottle of champagne that they were spraying when I rolled up and it felt really cool and you know I remember standing on the podium and it was the first time I ever heard the South African national anthem played at a you know sporting event it, it, you know in person like that and. Uh, that kind of, you know, also almost brings a tear to your eye because it kind of almost hits you all at one time, like what you've just done and like how big that is. And, right. um, you know, at, at that point, that seemed like the biggest thing I'd ever done in my life. You know, since I was about five years old and started riding motocross, everyone's like, oh, what's your goals? And I'm like, to be a world champion. It was that straight and simple. And that felt like, you know what? It's just, it's only a matter of time before I achieve that goal. So, you know, you get a lot of those emotions. You're so stoked. You know, when you, no matter what happens, whenever you win a race, it just feels like nothing in the world is a problem. Everything's just perfect. <laughs> and at that time, I thought, you know, yeah, I started thinking, I just beat Alessio Chiodi. You know, I have his jersey hanging on my wall. That he, You know, you're standing up there going, this is just a dream almost. And uh, But, you know, the great thing from there was, I, 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 you know, once I had that taste of victory at that level, it was like a drug, you know. You just wanted that that feeling each and every weekend. And um, I almost felt like that was the start of my real racing career because, you know, a lot of times I was going to the line just trying to qualify and get into the show. And then you were trying to improve on results. But it's weird. As soon as you win, you feel like you go to the next race. Like, okay, I won last week. I'm expected to be on the podium or top-fiving it, you know. And it was, it was really kind of changed my mindset from being a rider to a racer and the taste of victory. So that's Grant Langston, wins his first GP in 1999. Kind of amazing, actually. Langston is not that old now, and he already almost retired two years ago, but here it is. This is 11 years after he won his first pro race, and he does expect to be back for the Lucas Oil AMA Pro Motocross Championship this summer and maybe win more. 11-year span is quite a distance, and uh, that's... I guess what's stacked up against Langston right now, when you think about all the trials and tribulations he's been through to try to keep doing this for this long, it's going to be tough on the guy. But there's no doubt about it. That victory in Germany definitely launched his career. He was 125 world champ the very next season in 2000. And as he said to me actually later in that conversation, he feels like that win paved the way for the world championship. And if he hadn't won the world championship, he would have never come into the United States. And that's basically the life he lives now. So that one victory who knows how different life would be for Grant Langston if not for that. Kind of the same thing for the next person we'll talk to, Jeff Emig. At this point, we already know, looking back on his career, what he's accomplished. That includes four AMA National Championships, one in Supercross and three outdoors, and a pile of motocross of nations, or denations as they called it back then, victories. And today he's the analyst on Speed and CBS's Supercross broadcast. But who knows, much like Langston... None of that might have happened if he hadn't just busted through once in the 125 Supercross class and got that first career win. We got it queued up and ready. And for you, I mean, was it uh, was it Houston 1990, something like that? I just told the story this morning. Uh, really? It's fresh. 30 minutes ago, yeah. Well, tell us about it. Well, the uh, how it related to this last weekend is that uh, for uh, Justin Barsha, you know, his day didn't really start out too well. In the first practice, he got uh, drilled by Vince Freezy. Um, his ankle, his leg was hurt. Qualifying practice, he was pretty far off the pace. Uh, and then he, he wins the main event. And it was similar to, in a, in a way, that, uh, that it was challenging the day that I won my first lights, or back in the days, it was the 125 Supercross. Right. It was at Houston in 1990. And so, I had to ride a preliminary qualifier because I wasn't uh, in the top 10 or 20 or whatever. I wasn't seated into the heats. And so in the preliminary qualifier, I crashed. 
seems like we broke one of the magnesium triple clamps. Um, you know, had to get the bike, um, you know, put back together and repaired for the last chance qualifier in the preliminaries. Wow. Okay, so, and I was a factory Kawasaki uh, 125 rider. That's and not, uh, that's pressure. Yeah, you know, three or four lap LCQ, and that's just to get to the night show. Yeah, and then uh, ended up uh, winning the main event that night. Uh, was it an expectation going in? I mean, after going to the afternoon LCQ, do you start thinking, I could win the main event tonight? Definitely, that wasn't what was going through my I doubt it. Through my head, but, you know, I remember my dad, you know, really, really pressuring me to, to get focused and to get my shit together. And um, I can't recall exactly how the heat race went, but um, it, my dad had a way of, of, uh, of really getting me focused uh, when, you know, when the chips were down. And, uh, you know, if you remember correctly, there was uh, an incident with Denny Stevenson and Mike Craig right. over one of the triple jumps. Um, and those two guys, you know, had they not gone down, I probably wouldn't have won that night. They were really on the gas. But, you know, as, as it all played out, I ended up winning the first main event. And I remember, because um, I've seen the footage a little bit, um, that I remember it had this really nice, uh, you know, tabletop as the finish line. And I thought that I had the bike just upside down. And when you look back at the footage, it's like at like a 45-degree angle, you know. <laughs> like my butt was further upside down than what the bike was, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, it's pretty funny watching that stuff, uh, you know, watching it back after all these years. What's the feeling after that? You know, you're just trying to make your way. It's your rookie season. You're out of the amateur ranks. What is the feeling after that? I mean, can you feel like you've arrived and the pressure is off, or does it add pressure? What is it like after that first win? Um, I think for me that uh, the pressure was off a little bit, even though it took me a long time to win again, um, you know, later on in the season. But for sure it's nice to get that first one under your belt because I think when you're a rider like uh, Brett Metcalf, let's say, who's who's been in this game for a long time and he's yet to notch a win, um, that's some pretty, um, you know, pretty extreme pressure right there. So I think that it's important for young riders as they come through to, to get a win and to get a win early. Um, I think that it does wonders for your confidence and, and you don't have to sit there and keep questioning whether or not you can do this. You know, you, you nail it, you get it done, and now it's just a, you know, a question of, okay, you know, how do I do it again? So it doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to win the next weekend, but it's a boost somewhere down the road. It certainly is, yeah. And I, and I think that uh, in the fashion that Justin Barsha won the race in Toronto, um, you know, People can say that Porcel had an off day. Um, you know, he has won every event leading into that event. But if you use Stroop as the measuring stick, um, you know, the roles were just, you know, they were, you know, they were, you know, um, um, you know uh, reversed. And that Stroop has been solid and fast all year long. He's been second, you know, I, I believe he's been second every race, correct? Yep. Um, and so I think that Barcha just went out and did something uh, really special. And, and, you know, the Cowie guys, the Pro Circuit guys, or whoever is on the opposite side of Barcha, they're going to want to uh, discount it, you know. Um, but I, I, I truly do think that he just had a solid ride. And, and, if he, and if he did that, I think that he can do it again. My last thing for you is what was your dad's reaction after you won? He was putting pressure on you to, to do well. But when you actually did well, what was his reaction there in Houston way back? Oh, he said it's about damn time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was uh, Tony Alessi. Um, <laughs> no, um, he was just really proud of me. You know, I, it, w it was one of those times where you kind of catch a little bit of tears, uh, you know, kind of coming out the side of the eyes. And, and you know, I, I remember the first time that my father cried after I raced, and that was at Ponca City in 86 when I won the 80 stock class. And so that that win, uh, you know, the first win as a professional in Supercross, I think was another one of those moments. And, and I'm proud and I'm really happy that he was there and, 
97 when I, you know, had the ultimate win by winning the, uh, you know, AMA Supercross uh, uh, title. So those are, you know, it means a lot when the individuals like that, um, you know, when your parents get to be there and they get to enjoy. Because, you know, the, the I mean, there's not a one of us that our parents didn't make sacrifices to to help us get to where we're at and to, and to push us and motivate us and financial backing and support and, you know, cracking the whip when needed. So, um, you know, you could tell that after after the event this last weekend that um, Justin was, uh, you know, he was really wishing that Don was there um, and he was really fortunate that his mom, uh, Lorraine, was at the event and they got to they got to share those, you know, share those moments. And free. That's awesome, Jeff Emig there. And it's really funny, the common thread is you hear the stories from both Emig and from Grant Langston is their dad and how involved they were at their career at that point. And uh, I'll correct myself. Actually, I had said that Emig was a privateer Kawasaki racer. He was a factory Kawasaki rider at the time. But those are a lot different times than they were now. Uh, the factory effort that Kawasaki would have with Monster Pro Circuit and Mitch Payton and Jim Bones Bacon's gang with professional mechanics and technicians, a lot different than uh, Emig, who still had his dad basically as the main guy in his corner. Uh, same thing with Langston who in uh, 1999 really had his dad as the main guy in his corner. It's a lot different uh, than the racing now. Uh, now it's this careful balance for the rider uh, who's still pretty young, still in some cases not even an adult, not even 18 years old, to have a team and a mechanic and an agent, a trainer, but also still have their parents involved. And where is that balance? So it was interesting when we talked to our, first, our two new winners to see where their parents factored in. First guy that we'll talk about is Barsha. Now, Barsha's win, I think everyone kind of expected was going to happen. He won a national last year at Southwick. A lot of people thought this first Supercross win could come as soon as the very first race at Indy this year. It only took a few more rounds after that. It really wasn't that difficult. You look at it, it was kind of a wire-to-wire -wire win. But I'm sure it was a lot more difficult because, again, the first victory is something you're never going to forget, and that adds a lot more pressure. So here we go. Let's hear from Justin Barsha on his first. Talk about the excitement. What is the feeling like to win that first pro race, which for you actually was uh, last year at Southwick, and now you know what it's like again. Yeah, you know, it's all about the excitement. You know, actually in Toronto, I had the most amazing fans I've pretty much, you know, ever seen. And going home after the race was ridiculous. You know, family, friends, everyone was excited. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, we want to keep the ball rolling and hopefully do it again this weekend. And, you know, just want to be up front. You know, this is what you work for your whole life, but even knowing this might happen, is it really the same when it does happen, or is it different than what you expected? It's definitely way different. You know, the feeling was crazy going, oh, you know, going off the finish line, I just shook my head like I cannot believe what just happened right now. So, you know, if we can do that every weekend, man, I'll be one happy guy. <laughs> what was the difference in Toronto compared to uh, Daytona or Indy? Uh, Atlanta had speed, but what was the difference between some of the other races? Oh, uh, you know, mainly... Daytona was a tough track, really, a hard passing track, you know, no excuses or nothing, but uh, it was tough, and, you know, just wasn't clicking my way that weekend, but uh, going in Toronto, I actually had a <laughs> crazy, had a rough day going in, and uh, it turned out to be the best day of my life, pretty much, so <laughs> just, you know, it just depends, you know, if things are clicking or not, but hopefully, you know, we keep it going. Now, what point in the race did you start thinking you had it? Or did you never think you had it until the finish? You know, in the beginning, when I started checking out, I was like, man, I got this. And then, you know, try to keep my mind off the winning thing and focus on the track and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, made those mistakes, and my mind kind of just went crazy and started really, you know, got to go, got to go. So <laughs> it was just, you know, I never really thought I had it won. I was just, you know, once I got to the finish line, I was in shock. Now, how, do you have any idea how many races you've actually won in your life? A thousand, a hundred? Do you have any idea? No idea. No. You know, all the amateur races, everyone's like, how many amateur titles do you have? Man, I could say probably over a hundred. I don't know. Just tons and tons over the years. And then, you know, now i got two pro races, so it's pretty sick. But is it even the same? Like, do you look at, you know, winning a race locally when you're eight years old and this? Like, is it similar at all? I mean, winning your first local race, yeah, but, I mean, it doesn't even compare to amateur races. You know, Loretta titles, those are big deals, but these things are, you know, they don't come every day, so it's pretty awesome. 
Now, I've talked to some old school guys like uh, Amig about his first win, and he said how important it was to his parents. What was it like for your family to finally gotten to the top here? Oh, man, I can't even explain. You know, we've been working our, you know, our whole lives pretty much to get here, and to do it finally is, I mean, every, all the hard work we've done all the years, amateur racing, traveling, and all that kind of stuff, it pays off, and, you know, it just means so much to us. Can't even explain it. Now, Dad wasn't there? No, Dad was home, you know. Plane tickets were pretty expensive. Uh -huh. So what was the reaction? You had to just call him? Yeah, he was freaking out. He, yeah, he, he probably had like 10 packs of cigarettes <laughs> during the race because, you know, yeah, he was he lost it. You know, he was so happy. I wish he could have been there, but he was pumped. How was Mom? Yeah, she was breaking down. She was, I thought she was going to cry, but uh, no, she was so happy for me. Talk about the That's uh, Justin Barsha there. Now, see, there's the difference. His dad wasn't even at the race in Toronto because at this point you don't need to have dad there. The teams have that taken care of even down to the lights class where back in Emig's day it was pretty much a two-man army, father and son, just like they would be at the local races racing at the highest level. So we thought that was going to wrap our show until all of a sudden we ended up with another first-time winner just over the weekend in Dallas or Arlington. That was Blake Baggett who took a probably even more improbable win than Barsha. A lot of people expected Barsha to win right off the bat like we had said, but Baggett well, he only raced the very end of the national tour last year, wasn't able to get on the podium, and I'm not sure if he or his team even expected him to get a victory this quickly, but that just makes it all the more sweeter. Let's hear from Blake Baggett. I uh, got the win this weekend, and I'm just trying to uh, plug away, and uh, I'd like to podium uh, a few more races throughout the year before the Supercross season ends, as we got three left, so... Uh, if I get three podiums, I would be pumped. Uh, the win was awesome. I uh, never expected it to happen, especially on a, a night like it did when I had to go to the LCQ race. Um, but it was uh, it was the greatest feeling for sure. A dream come true, and uh, we're just plugging away, and I uh, really can't wait for outdoors to come around. You had to have a little confidence coming in. I, I know the results weren't spectacular, but you had been going fast, actually, in almost every race this year. Atlanta, you were fast. Daytona, you were fast. I know Toronto's a little rough, but, I mean, speed-wise, you had to be pretty pretty comfortable. Yeah, um, I definitely had the speed. Atlanta was, uh, was really well. That was my second uh, Supercross, so kind of got a little bit of the jitterbugs out uh, after Indy. And uh, we rode really good, and I just uh, made a little mistake and slid out in the corner, but ended up fifth there, and uh, that was that was amazing for the second race, I thought. I mean, I, uh, I was pretty pumped on that. And then uh, I just went back and worked on uh, trying to make the little mistakes. And uh, we got uh, fourth at uh, Daytona yep. and led for a little bit. So that yep. was definitely a confidence booster, uh, being able to run with uh, Stroop and Purcell. And then uh, Toronto didn't go so good. Uh, we just made a little mistake in the heat race, ended up getting, going down, kind of didn't have the patience that I should have. And then uh, in the main event, I crashed in the loops and uh, didn't finish. But uh, I just kind of put my head down and worked forward and then got a win this weekend, and I'd just like to, to podium it out and be awesome. Now, dude, everybody says, oh, it hasn't sunk in, it hasn't sunk in. What, what does sinking in even mean, or has it still not sunk in? Or do you feel any different? Do you feel relief? Um, I mean, you're a rookie, so you didn't exactly know what to expect. So are you like, okay, I can do this now? Um, yeah, like they say it hasn't sunk in, which uh, I don't even know what how to explain sunk in, but, uh, yeah, it's got the weirdest feeling. Like, uh, it was just kind of unexpected. It wasn't like I was the top qualifier and then won the heat race. Um, I would qualified 11th, <laughs> crashed in the first turn of the heat race and caused a big old pile up. Yeah. Uh, went to the LCQ race and got second in that. So I was the last one into the main and, uh, very outside. And then to come out off the start and forth after the big pile up and, uh, and win was just, I I don't even have any words for it. I mean, it was, it was a great feeling, you know, a dream come true. And uh, I don't really think it sunk in. Like, I don't feel any different. I think it took a little bit of pressure off just uh, practicing. I think at the practice tracks this week, I've had a, uh, I think it's just built a little bit of confidence where I'm like, okay, I'm not worried about that now. I just need to, you know, do what I did last week and just have, uh, have a little bit smoother and try to, fix the little things that I uh, made mistakes, but uh, yeah, I don't know what uh, the sunk-in term really no. means. No. Dude, 
explain that first turn. Like, what was your start like, and how did you get through that? I mean, that was one of the craziest, or probably the craziest first turn crash ever in Supercross. Yeah. Um, well, in the heat race, I was in the middle, like uh, right by the box, and I ended up getting. I was really good. Like, I think I was probably top five, and then all of a sudden I got hit by somebody on the inside, and I slid out, and then everybody piled up on top of me. So. I definitely knew going into the main and starting on the very outside that uh, it was going to be a big old. It was either going to be carnage or everybody was just going to kind of cruise through there. So uh, I really had two options, either to hold it wide open and try to sweep it around the outside and maybe take out a few tough blocks (laughs) or uh, jump off the start and uh, just cut underneath everybody, you know, kind of like jump out behind everybody and try to dive down the inside and let the pileup happen on the outside and – I just kind of took a chance and rode around the outside, and I actually got knocked off the track for like two, probably two or three tough blocks. Huh. And uh, I got on right before that first uh, jump on, jump off, and uh, that's where I got actually got passed by Moss. I was in third when I got on, but I was just like, "Wow, that did not just happen!" Like, so you saw all that carnage going down, like beside Oh yeah, you. I saw the whole thing. Like, I jumped out and was kind of way, way on the outside, and I was just kind of gonna run it all the way to the end. Uh huh. And, uh, actually, I just passed Bobby Hewitt. <laughs> uh <Uh-oh>. oh <laughs> I just passed him on the road, so. Um, I just kind of rode it around the outside, and uh, they went down, and it, it worked out really good for me. Wow. You, do you know where you're going right now, or if you don't follow him, are you in big trouble? No, he's actually going the opposite way. I just passed his house, so he's headed back there, and I'm oh. going to the shop. Okay, you know? you're not following him or anything right now. No, okay, no definitely not. going the opposite way of following him. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um. You said that you had a tough time being patient at some of the other races. So, did those lessons already pay off? Like, because you did play super patient this time. Yeah, um, I definitely am not the most patient rider. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to say that in my amateur things, I think I threw a lot of amateur titles away from being uh, impatient and crashing on like the first few laps. And uh, I think I did learn a lesson. I don't. I don't think I'm absolutely perfect and not going to make that mistake ever again, but I definitely uh, I had to talk myself through this one and be patient. And I, uh, I was pretty much just waiting till like, three laps to go, and the way they had that uh, the big old Jumbotron thing set up, you could see what lap we were on and who was in what position. And I was kind of watching that thing, too, uh, seeing if anybody, any numbers had jumped up from, like, fifth to first or, or fifth to, you know, third right behind me or whatever, and... Uh, I was just kind of watching that and making sure somebody wasn't coming super fast and then just counting down the laps and waiting to attack. And then uh, when we got into lappers, it was kind of like he went left, and I just kind of was like, well, here's an opportunity. i got to go now. So, <laughs> Was it kind of better that it was so close at the end? You know, a lot of times it, guys are riding around and they start getting nervous and thinking about it, but you really didn't have a chance for that because you were just battling the whole time. Did it actually make it easier because it was a race instead of just wire to wire? Yeah, I mean – I definitely think it uh, it got tight right there in the center when uh, Barsha was right there. We kind of yeah. it seemed like the pace slowed down for a few laps, and Barsha kind of tightened up to us, and uh, he tried to drive it into the side of me once. And, uh, <laughs> it it kind of tightened up, and when he hit me, I was like, "Well, I guess I gotta go." Like, mm-hmm. otherwise he's gonna try to do that again, you know, in the same corner when those tight corners. So uh, we got a little gap, and then uh, I just kind of tried to settle in, and I was just like, all right, got to be patient, wait, wait, and see if he makes a mistake, and Sides was absolutely flawless, so he caught the lappers. Yeah, yeah. Was that track pretty hard to pass on? I mean, if he hadn't made the mistake, did you know of any other place you could have used if he didn't get stuck behind the lappers? Um, I, I was actually setting, I was going to go for it the last lap, because I figured in the last few laps I was going to do something, and uh the the last lap, I was going to actually try to make the move right where uh, Barsh ended up doing it and actually where I passed him. Right. Uh, I was really fast in that section um, through the whoops and then over that step up and around that corner. So I was going to try to make something happen there. But uh, the far side of the track, I'm going to jump on, jump on, jump off. I uh, actually crashed in that in practice. So <laughs> I didn't end up – I didn't even jump that all night. I went uh, jump over, jump over. So I knew that was slower. But uh, – in the segment times, it actually didn't even end up that much slower after. Uh, no, the watching the footage, it, it pretty much whichever way you jumped it, it seemed like it was pretty equal. Even though it looked like you were up too high, it didn't seem to matter yeah. too much. Yeah, that's what everybody had thought. In practice, when we did split times on it, it was, uh, it was you know, 
from two tenths to a half a second slower, depending on who was jumping it. And uh, in the main, I mean, it was only, I think I got the second split time in that section, uh, but only like two two tenths or something. Now, when I talked to uh, even Emig about this, and he won his first 125 Supercross in 1990, uh, were you even born then? No, right? No. No, no I was born in 92. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um the main thing he talked about that really sticks in his mind is, you know, he was still kind of riding. His parents had kind of gotten him where he was at that point. He was fresh out of the amateur ranks. And how much it actually meant to his to his parents for him to have finally made it. And I know how hard your mom and dad worked, so just talk about uh, their reaction now that you've gotten to the top, at least for one week. Um, yeah, I mean, we've uh, pretty much put everything we had into it and uh, just lived in a, a normal lifestyle kind of at home, a normal house. Uh, yep. We have a, a big rig and stuff. We pretty much uh, they dedicated everything to me so that I could uh, live my dream and to definitely come out with a win in the Supercross my rookie year and uh, still living at home. Uh, I plan on doing that forever, but uh, my oh, really? dad don't like that idea. <laughs> Save your money. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, to be able to do that and have my mom and dad there, and it was just, uh, I think it was a dream come true for everybody and uh just it shows that all the hard work we put into it actually paid off. Your mom was actually pretty much the truck driver, right? Back yeah, I mean, she, uh, she pretty much drove our rig around. Uh, she went to all the outdoors, and we ended up flying back and forth just because uh, we knew we could get solid riding in if we flew home and uh-huh. had to spend more money flying home, but we knew we could ride every day during the week for the outdoors. So we ended up doing that, and uh, she just stayed on the road with the dogs and <laughs> that paid off, which I think uh, that doing that helped me uh, get a ride for this year and just working forward to that now. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have this ride lined up straight out of Loretta's. You had to go improve yourself at those last couple of nationals, right? Like that Steel City ride, was that a was that a big step? Is that what made this happen? Yeah, um, I uh, there was talk about me going to PC, but uh, that was just all talk. I had, uh, I had no ride. I was going to be riding out of my own rig, so wow. I... Uh, we decided, uh, I actually went and talked to Mitch and just asked him uh, what was the best way that he thought that I could prove myself so that I didn't have to do it on my own next year. And he said, well, I think you should go to the outdoors and try to prove yourself and see what you can do there. So I went there and did that. And, uh, I mean, it was a while after the outdoors before anything kind of came through. I was just kind of hoping. And we had kind of put together a few plans of what we were going to do if we had to do it on our own. And then... Uh, the Rockstar team uh, came through and sent me an offer, and uh, we took that, and it's been good. Did you expect it all to come this quickly? I mean, coming out of Loretta's, you didn't even know if you'd have a ride, and then four races in to your first year, you've already got a win. I mean, did you expect things to turn around that quick? No, definitely not. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I knew that uh, I knew that we were all going to be faster than the rookies. I knew that... Yep. Uh, we're going to be up there. I didn't know really where I was going to be. I mean, I had rode with Morris, uh, Ryan Morris, and uh, I had rode with Stroop a little bit before the races, but I didn't know where I was going to be at. I didn't know if I was going to be top five, top ten, contention for a win. And uh, after Indy, I kind of just was like, well, I think I have the speed. We just need to work on a few things. And then uh, Atlanta went better. And then uh, Daytona was good to lead. I think that helped a lot. But uh, I kind of got a little bit down on myself for uh, going from fourth to first. I uh, I didn't like that idea. I don't like to get passed like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, even though they, you know racing with those guys, but uh, um, and then uh, Toronto, I kind of just uh, put that one behind me. And definitely, this was a lot of confidence. And I uh, I would have never never guessed that it would have happened the rookie year. Uh, definitely not the fourth race in man it's awesome well all right that's what we want to talk about there the first time win and uh it's pretty interesting that you're not saying all right well i'm just going to do the same thing next week and you're still kind of just looking for podiums and, and consistency and not thinking well this will be easy i'll just win the rest it's not quite yeah. that easy i guess no i know i uh definitely not one of those uh, people that say uh well i'm gonna win this one but uh I mean, a podium is what I'm looking for, but uh, if I have to take a few top fives, then that's what I'll take. Uh, but, yeah, no, I know winning uh, does not come easy for sure, and uh, you just kind of got to play your cards out right, and if it works out for you, it works out for you. All right, there it is, another name added to the AMA record books as a race winner. That's Blake Baggett.
Now, before we wrap this show up, I think it's only appropriate for us to ask Ping, because we do have a staff member here at RaceRex who has some experience winning races, and you can't win several races until you've won one race. So he has first race experience. We'll bring in uh, David Pingree here in a second. Ping, are you there? I'm here. All right. Uh, what do you do nowadays, man? Your team's off on the uh, West Region. I know that you were moonlighting in a different job just for one weekend in Dallas. So what the heck are you up to right now? I got a lot of irons in the fire, Weech. Really? You know? Yeah. You're not uh, putting out fires yet, are you, officially? That's not an official gig, is it? Uh, not full-time, uh, but I am a, a, what's called a PCF with the San Bernardino County Fire Department. So we train every other Saturday, and I, I can go right out with any at any station I want at any time and get paid for the calls I run. So it's a good internship spot, um, you know, for someone trying to make their way into it full time. Wow. Now, do they even know about the motocross thing at all? Is this confusing to them? Um, no, you know, a couple of the guys, one of the captains, he, he comes to a lot of the races. So, um, you know, he, he follows it real closely. But, no, most of them have no idea. You know, I think I'm, <laughs> so the, you, know, they don't, you don't get any special treatment at all as a celebrity? No. No, no, no. no. Um, no, I get treated like a dirt bag because I'm entry level. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, well, I'm glad to see their equal opportunity as far as treating people like dirt bags. Then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, our first show here is about first victories, and I want to. You have two perspectives on it because I know that you have riders on your team that you're hoping get to experience this soon, maybe as soon as Seattle. But you've already been through this yourself, and with Barsha and Baggett uh, breaking through already, uh, we thought it was kind of appropriate. So. When the heck? I mean, you know, you won some races, right? So there was a first win in there somewhere, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the first one was 1995. I know it makes me sound super old. <laughs> oh, you're better than Emig, who was 1990, and that was before Baggett was born. So at least you got that beat. <laughs> Baggett's like, I was born in 92. <laughs> oh, geez. So when Baggett was three, yes, I was headed to San Jose, <laughs> uh, riding for Pro Circuit at the time. Uh, it was a pro circuit split fire Kawasaki team then, but right, same group of guys. And uh, <clears throat> Damon Huffman and Ryan Hughes were kind of the the top dogs in that class at the time. And Huffman was on a, I think at the time it was a record. I think it was six or seven wins in a row, uh, and it, it, that record held until Ricky broke it. Wow! Which I think didn't he get eight in uh, was it ninety eight? He won the whole season, which I think was eight. Yeah, and yeah. he even won the shootout for good measure. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Huffman was on a roll, and in the first turn, it actually parallels Blake's deal in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I had had a, a bunch of I, – I didn't have a podium at that point, uh, but I had a bunch of fourths and fifths. And in the first turn, uh, there was a little – it wasn't nearly the size of Dallas, but uh, Huffman went off the track, uh -huh. and Rhino actually fell uh, with a couple other guys. And I started second or third or something and then just got in the lead and took off. And – um, you know, really, it's funny. I really didn't think much about it, you know. You were just I was riding. just kind of riding laps, and uh, I got to a couple laps in the end and started getting nervous. I could see Huffman coming. I still had probably eight seconds on him. Right. And I figured I was doing the math in my head, okay, if he's three seconds a lap faster or whatever, then I could, <laughs> you know. I still got him if I do terrible laps. <laughs> so uh, I just took it real easy, and, yeah, I mean, it was a pr pretty amazing feeling, so it's, it's cool to watch those guys now. I tell them, man, just take it in. You know, even my guys, I say, just don't, you know, just take it in, man. Enjoy it because you never know when they're going to stop coming. So wait a minute. You actually broke what at one point was an all-time record win streak for Damon Huffman. Yeah. You were the streak breaker? Yes, yes, sir. All right. And it's one of those very insignificant little, you know, notches in my belt that I carry around. Yeah, yeah. Out of bed every day. There's not too many notches in there. I know. Listen, hey, this show was designed to be educational, so we just taught somebody something. There you go. Some, somebody know that. Uh, what was the reaction of the team after that one? I mean, were the expectations that year for you to be winning races, and were they saying it's about time, or was it a shock to them? Um, well, that was my first year with the team, and I mean, I think there's always an expectation to win at Mitch's team, but Rhino was their guy, so right. he was expected to win, and he wasn't. You know, uh, Huffman was beating him pretty, pretty soundly. Yep. So he was taking most of the verbal abuse from Mitch, you know, because <laughs> I was just a rookie kid, whatever. And there was actually a couple races where I was all over Rhino, and uh, San Diego was one of them. I, I Mitch yelled at me like, "You should have passed Ryan. You were going faster than him." And um, 
<laughs> anyway, I, I, he was getting most of the abuse, so I didn't take too much of it. And I was still doing okay. You know, I was winning heat races and um, just having a solid rookie year, I guess. Not even though it wasn't full rookie season. Dude, I wouldn't want to be uh, stuck between the rock and the hard place of Rhino being mad and Mitch being mad and then you being stuck in between those two personalities. Oh, let me tell you about the, you know, tornado of emotions and personalities at the place back then. Because Mitch is not the same guy he is now as he was in 1995. I'll tell you that. Okay. He'll tell you that. You're right. He was a, a angry, angry man. <laughs> so, we, uh, there was lots of screaming and yelling. And, and I think, I think Ramsey is the one that finally got through to him and, and calmed him down a little bit because, I don't know, most people wouldn't, wouldn't just tell Mitch, you know, he, he's intimidating. Right. Especially when you're a rider riding for a team and you're 19 years old or whatever it is, and it's hard to stand up to him. And Nathan finally said, hey, look, I, I don't respond well to you screaming at me. Like, <laughs> I need you to work with me, you know, like help me. Right. And uh, I think he finally got Mitch to settle down a little bit, and, and, it's, and it worked. You know, Nathan went out and won championships for him. And um, Anyway, I think that changed Mitch in the way he deals with riders. Realizes not everybody can be screamed at because Rhino liked to be yelled at. Oh, I'd a imagine. little bit of a masochist. Him. He he wants he wanted Mitch to hit him in the face and tell I... him he was an idiot, and then Rhino <laughs> would go ride harder and train more. <laughs> if we only had these reality type TV shows back then, when you had Rhino and Mitch working together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been something. <laughs> now, what was the reaction? So when you won, I mean, was it big uh, party time uh, um, in the pool at the hotel, or what was going on? You know, Randy Lawrence was my mechanic at the time, and. Oh. and we had been, you know, we'd been working hard, and he, he kind of expect. I think he expected more out of me than Mitch did, even because he had been my mechanic already for a year, and we just, he kind of believed in me, and and um, so he was. It was really cool to like share that with him, and uh, of course Mitch was stoked, and Mike Hooker was the guy doing all of our. He was kind of our team manager at the time. Um, yeah, everybody was really happy, and it was weird because the year before. Pedro Gonzalez got his first and only win at San Jose. Yeah, that same that same track. That's Riding right. for Mitch. So it was kind of that place was weird. And Doug Dubot got his only win up there. Wow. In the four, in the then the 250 class. So there was kind of some. That was kind of a talk afterwards. Now what's up with San Jose? You know, we always get these first time winners. This is cool. And <laughs> and the the big thing I remember about that night was um, just earlier that year I had met through Randy. I'd met Sean Palmer. Uh huh. And uh, those guys were good friends and. This was a palm was still kind of in his heyday of the snowboarding era when everything just really getting big with that. And he was a nut. He was still partying and, you know, like old school Sean Palmer. Right. And um, he, I don't, I don't know how he pulled this off. Somehow he jumped out of the stands, <laughs> ran up to the podium just as we're about ready to uncork the champagne, which took me a while to get mine undone because I'd never undone a champagne bottle before. <laughs> Something else they should teach when you get a ride with a good team. Yeah. So uh, he comes up. I, I don't know if he even maybe helped me pop the top of the thing off, and then he grabs it from me on the podium. I don't, I don't think this would happen these days. Didn't <laughs> so get tackled. Paul, who's like, you know, baggy pants. Kind of looks like a dirt bag, really. Yeah. Up on the podium, grabs my bottle of champagne and guzzled about half of it. And then what? poured it on me, and, like, he basically <laughs> celebrated my first win for me. Oh, all right. Well, hey, at least you brought in, if you're going to bring a closer out of the bullpen, make <laughs> right. sure it's someone that can handle. I mean, you picked yeah. a good one. Yeah, so I'm sure he went out that night and just put the uh, finishing touches on it, too. <laughs> what was uh, what was your family's reaction? You know, we talked to a lot of these guys, you know, when you're younger and early in your career. I mean, your parents are one of the main uh, people that got you there. You were on a team at, at that point. But what was the reaction of the people that had made all the sacrifice for you to get there at, at 19 years old or whatever it was? Oh, they were, I mean, as you can imagine, just they were ecstatic. You know, my, my parents were, I kind of scratched my head at some of the, the parents now. And, I mean, I understand they're close, but. My dad was like, all right, you're 18. You know, I've taught you everything I can teach you when it comes to racing. So you're with a good team. you got good people around you. Go. Wow, really? You know, and, yeah, he'd come to the local ones, and he'd watch. and he'd, But he'd just kind of hang out in the stands or at the hospitality of the truck. And, um, you know, of course, they called. They watched it on the Internet and stuff like that. But he wasn't – I didn't have, you know, both my parents walking around with big pingree jackets. And, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't like that. It just – I don't know. They big had their own wallets. lives, too, you know. So, um, yeah, of course, they called right after, and they're, you know, like any parent, just thrilled. So it was cool. It was, a, it was, I don't know. Like I said, I just tell anybody, whether even if you're just on the podium, man, just enjoy it because, you know, 
you don't know even, if it's coming even, even a third it's like man take it in you're up on the podium like that's you've achieved something for sure take it in you know and really just remember it so hopefully blake blake was doing that between the tears and the interviews and all that well it is Good interesting because at this point in their career you, you're assuming that these guys will win more but you, it's just so weird how this sport works sometimes sometimes it never happens i think when when pedro won or when dubak won i think people kind of knew like wow that's crazy that these guys won a race like it was significant. I think when Barsha won and maybe even with Baggett, people are like, well, that's the first of many. There will be many, many more. But you really you Man, can't I'll count on you. those things. No. Go through the list of uh, – if you scroll through the list of riders who've won one Supercross. There's some good riders in there. There's some really good riders. And you go, Man, that's weird. I would have thought that guy would have went, went on a streak. But And there's yeah. a lot of riders. There's a lot of great riders who don't win any. So. Right. Man, nothing – that's why I tell them. Just enjoy it because it's – Nothing is uh, a guarantee in the sport, that's for sure. It's funny. I remember uh, the the 1990 Vegas Supercross, which McGrath won his first in the 125 class, but Matasevich won his first in the 250 class that night, and he was the point leader. He was a rookie. He was taking the sport by storm. I mean, he was really in the same situation Dungey is this year. He had won titles in the 125, leading the points in the big class in his rookie year. He wins Vegas, and I remember on the TV show Dave Despain saying, this is how you do it. You win a lot of races like this. You could put away so much money, Jeff Matasevich, that he will be sitting pretty for the rest of his life. He'll never have to work a regular job if he keeps this up. And that's what they said in that yeah. show. And what is Matasevich doing now? That was the only win he ever got. And now he's right, working. Go, bu go, go buy some organic fruit down in Anaheim, and you'll, you'll see what he's doing. You'll see what he's doing. And at that point, it seemed guaranteed. Like, there's no way. That, and no one's going to stop this guy. He's going to be there for five or ten years. He's going to win titles. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happens. Well, you could go on and on. Denny Stevenson, here's a guy who crushed 125 yes. Supercross races. Yes. Uh, you know, championship, everything else, and then poof. You know. Does it make that uh, though when when you do break through? And unfortunately for you, I know you had a lot of injuries to deal with, and y you weren't always able to build on those wins every time. Does it make it that memory that much better? Because you're like, man, at the time I was thinking title, but I'm glad to know I did get some wins. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, everyone has their goals of, oh, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a 250 champion, you know, at right, the time. Right, right. And, uh, like, who doesn't, you know? Exactly. But the only way to get a 250 ride was to win a 125 championship. So that was my first goal. Yep. And, I mean, you know, chased it the best I could. I mean, I, I won four races in four different years. Right. Where most guys would have a season where everything was clicking and they'd rail off two or three wins in one season. Yeah. That would never happen for me. I you know, just one reason or another, you know, yeah. I had injuries. I had a lot of injuries and I was riddled, but, right. um, I don't know. But what yeah, I'm I, saying is, you know, I, I guess at the time it's disappointing. Oh, you didn't get that title and you were so close, but now you get to look back and say that you won some, which are a lot of good riders. Like you said, that didn't, that could, they couldn't break through and get that. Yeah. I think, you know what I had, Greg Albertine gave me a, some great advice on that is, you know, cause I used to cry the blues to him all the time about <laughs> For me, you know, I, I wanted to get this and do that, and this didn't happen for me. He's all, dude, how bad do you think I wanted to win a Supercross and a Supercross championship? That was my whole life's goal, you know, like it's towards the end of my career. That's all I cared about. Right. But most people would look at Albie and go, oh, my gosh, like three-time world champion, national champion. What more yeah. does this guy want? Right. But he just said, you're, you're always going to want more. So, <laughs> you know, just stop. Just be happy with what you've done. Look, you're, look at big picture. You know, you're healthy go ride you have you know you're you have a job like he just he, he was really good at putting it in perspective for me and i think uh i think you've got to do that at the end of your career no matter how it is is go well even if you never won anything go, well, whatever whatever your accomplishments were i did this i did that it was fun i had a great time now you get to exp uh, apply this as a, as a team manager and that win is I, i'm sure you've had these conversations with your riders you know we saw will Hahn at the beginning of the year was so fast and then uh, one of the, I think it was Anaheim three. He had a great start, and then suddenly it was a lot different, you know, staring victory in the face yeah. as opposed to coming from sixth to challenge those guys. So how big of a breakthrough is it for a guy to try to get one of those wins? It's tough, and it's it's just all mental, you know. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it happens easy for a guy. Like, yeah. like my my first one was really not that difficult. I rode fifteen, you know, pretty just decent laps, nothing amazing. And got that first one, but then I believed, oh, I did it once. Okay, I can right. do it. And he, he, I just, I hope for Will or, or Cole, because yep. Cole is every bit as close as Will is, I hope those guys can just get one. 
because I think they'll start to come easier. You know, even for Blake, um, or or I mean, Barsha is a bad example because he's already he, that guy goes for it. He doesn't need any more confidence. But right, right. I, I would. I, I remember after my first win, I went to the test track the next week. Uh-huh. I think the next weekend was Vegas. Went to the Cali track the next week. I mean, I'd done a billion laps around the place. Right. I kind of knew what my good lap times were, and for no reason at all, just I won that weekend before. I was like almost two seconds a lap faster. Are you serious? Yeah, just I was a badass. I thought so. Why should wow. I just go faster? That's unbelievable. I don't know. Yeah, it's really weird. Just what confidence will do for you. So um, I, I just hope Will. I hope these guys can just get one. Um, they're both riding well enough, but you know, it's hard when you got guys like Kennard and Weimer who are right. You know, just solid. So. Well, maybe you need a, a first turn crash with fifteen riders going down, or or at least Huffman and Hughes <laughs> going down. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe just maybe. Kennard and Weimer could just, like, have an easy tip over and break their clutch levers off or something at Seattle. It is funny, though, because every one of these first wins, it, it, it's it's not like Blake said or you said, like, I don't know what it was, man. I was just on fire that day. Things just all of a sudden worked. You might have ridden harder at other races. Yeah. Uh, it's just weird. Yeah, no, like, there was other wins where I had to work for it, and right. I, I came off saying, man, I, I, rode, that was, I rode really good, but... This one wasn't – I rode I rode good. I rode fine, yep. but yep. I wasn't, like, amazing. Yeah. I mean, Hoffman was reeling me in big time. If <laughs> we have started side by side, he'd have killed me. But, Hey, know. they can't take that away from you. That's what they no. – whoever they is, they always say that. Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny, too? I, I was – I didn't see Barsha's reaction after he won, but watching Blake get emotional and stuff. Right. You know, I was never like that for uh, my wins, at least for my first one. I was just more happy. Right. But now as I've gotten older, maybe I'm just getting soft when I, as I get older. But, man, I tell you, when even when our guys got on the podium both times, I, I'm, like, tearing up. You were more so emotional like, for them than you were for yourself. Yeah. yeah, it's really weird. Wow. Like, what am I doing? I felt like a homo. I was like, <laughs> and my mechanics were doing yeah. the same thing, like a couple of them. Like, we're all up on the podium hugging each other, crying. I'm like, this is stupid. Well, what were the what were your riders react? Were they, again, not as emotional no, they, as you? They were just happy. They were like I was when I, you know, <laughs> they're just happy. Right. I'm crying. It's, I don't know. It's weird. Wow. Yeah, so I, I wonder if Baggett's team was crying then. Or can, is it only possible for one side to cry? I don't know. That's a good question. I should ask Bill. Yeah. He, he had his 50th birthday that weekend, so he might have been crying for other reasons. But. Yeah, yeah, or, or in the morning at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Ping. Um, see, here's what getting that first win gets you. It gets you to be on the show because, see, now you're an expert on winning the first race. So who would have thought that 15 years ago? Excellent. Well, we didn't even know what an iPod I, was. This is this is what I did it for. So uh, yes, glad it finally paid off. Yeah, yeah. Forget. Hey, by the way, can you actually tell us what was your? Uh, do you know what your bonus was at that point? Do you remember? Fifteen grand. How much? Fifteen thousand dollars. Actually, that's that's not too bad, really. We'll Things see. are bad right now, man. I'll tell you, bonuses are down, and salaries are still up a little bit, but bonuses are down to like mid nineties levels for sure. Like nineteen ninety five levels. Yeah, ish. There, yeah, you, there you go. Depending on who you were, but yeah. Yeah. Well, fifteen grand for nineteen ninety five doesn't sound too bad. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. What was your salary? Not even salary wasn't uh, even close, right? 20, 20, let's see. Twenty five thousand the first year. Right. So your one win was worth almost as much as your entire year's salary. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. And then I think it went to thirty, and then that's where Ricky started too, and he came onto the team with thirty. Guys only, only Mitch Payton could hire Ricky Carmichael for thirty grand. Yeah, because of this guy's negotiating skills. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> that was before Ramsey got to him, I guess. Yeah, um, when he was still cutting people's heads off. Wow, uh, there's a reality show in there somewhere. Just, just like this iPod thing. It's a little too early for it. All right, that's going to do it. We will let Ping go. We will let you go as well. That's our first ever Racer X podcast. We hope you did learn something, but this is really just a tip of the iceberg. Send me an email, jasonw at racerxonline.com, and perhaps we will unearth many other mysteries of the sport that there are some experts that know about, but you and myself do not. I sure hope so. I want to learn some things as we do this show also. As for first-time winners, well, we all know it's all about winning in this sport. This isn't NASCAR where top fives and top tens pay the bills. Teams are looking for wins or the potential for wins, and that's what the riders and teams work so hard for, to win races. So when you finally bust through and get that one, it's certainly a memorable experience, and we're glad that a couple of the best were able to explain those experiences with us today. As for the rest of the shows, well, again, your feedback will help, 
But we hope we'll continue to bring you a lot of cool stuff in the coming weeks. So thanks for tuning in to our first ever episode of the Racer X podcast. I'm Jason Wygant, and as always, we'll see you at the races. Mm -hmm.